You are listening to the Family Business Podcast, the podcast aimed at delivering insights to help your family business thrive. I'm your host, Russ Hayworth, and each week I'll be bringing you interviews from family businesses and their advisors from all over the world. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. Well, hello and welcome to this episode of the Family Business Podcast. I'm your host, Russ Hayworth, and today I'm joined by Howard Hackney. Now, I first met Howard uh, probably two or three years ago when we were doing a um, seminar, or Howard was doing a seminar that I attended. Um, We've kept in touch, and I thought it'd be a great idea for Howard to come on the show today to talk about some of the specific options that can be looked at when family businesses are dealing with their succession planning. So firstly, Howard, hello and welcome to the show. Uh, hello, Russ, and uh, good morning, good afternoon, or the case may be when people are listening to this. Yes. Uh, good morning. Um, before we get into the detail, um, as we do every week, we'd like our guests to kind of introduce themselves. Um, I know you're a chartered accountant, but perhaps you could give some more background information to our audience about um, what it is you do and how you came to be doing uh, what you're doing now. I'm absolutely chartered accountant of far too many years standing. Um, I uh, was a partner in uh, Grant Thornton for many years until nearly 10 years ago, and it was now I uh, advisedly use the word escaped uh, to set up my own boutique practice focusing on advisory only work for family businesses and, in fact, professional uh, practices as well. So I only do advisory work. Um, don't do any of the compliance work, such as tax returns, um, uh, audits, that sort of thing. Uh, it's just the interesting stuff. Uh, okay. And that's what I focus on. Fantastic. And as I say, you, you do seminars for um, other professionals, such as myself, um, teaching uh, around the country some of the, the detail, which is what we're going to be discussing a little bit today. It might be worth caveating at outset that th- this isn't specific advice and is UK-based. So for, for any of our overseas listeners, um, it's still very worthwhile listening to um, the outcomes, just so you know yourselves. But it will have a UK focus, mainly because um, I certainly don't know much about anything outside the UK, um, but, but we're both UK-based. So I, thought, well, so, well, so I think that, that's fair, Russ, certainly on the technical things, be it share structures and share buy-ins and such like. Uh, an awful lot of uh, the, uh, what, what I do uh, is generic worldwide and, in fact, uh, uh, okay. uh, working for a lady in Australia at the moment. Oh, brilliant. Okay. So uh, ignore, ignore that caveat then. <laughs> uh, except, on the te- except on the technical things. Yeah. Uh, so the issue with, with her in Australia is uh, until uh, I started acting for her, I had no idea about the Australian tax system, right. which is amazingly similar, similar to Britain, the British. Ah, okay. Uh, no, that's, uh, so it does apply worldwide. Great. Okay. So uh, I think probably the, the easiest way to start the conversation is, in your experience, what is the starting point for businesses when it comes to succession planning and what I mean by that is do they look at the technical aspects i.e structure do they look at what the outcome needs to be how do they approach you in in your experience well it's it's a difficult one this to the simple answer to your first question is um it's never uh, people approach me never at the right time Mm. Uh, it's like uh, the uh, 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 uh 
uh, the Irish direction, so I wouldn't start from here. Uh, (laughs) Never start at the the right time. Uh, The right time is to start thinking about it when you take over the reins of a business. Uh, But frankly, people are never ready to do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, So uh, one's always got to have in mind a succession. Why why do people approach me? Um, They usually approach me, uh, I hate to say, um, because they they are starting to have some sort of conflict within the business. Mm-hmm. Uh, can be illness, but it's usually usually conflict where people are not getting on and they're just not able to resolve the problems. Um, and uh, that that's uh, regrettably is one of the reasons why we see so few family businesses make it to the third generation. Yeah, uh, the statistics say something like ten percent only make it to the third generation. Mm. Some of those will be because they want to make it, uh, they want to sell and get out. Uh, but the vast majority is because of its internal disputes as it passes down the generations. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that, that's the starting point. Um, it's really a technical issue. Um, it, it's um, family disputes or people becoming aware of their uh, mortality. Uh, inheritance tax is a big issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's probably the other area that uh, people start worrying about what, uh, what's going to happen and then start, start talking to me. Yeah, and I think it's important to point out that although um, ideally you would start very early on in the um, sort of the business cycle when you when you take it on, as you say, um, it's not always easy to do that, and it's certainly not a priority at that time. No, the, the sooner the better, isn't it? it? It if people are listening to this thinking, okay, it's I, I should be looking at it. I know I should be looking at it, um, but it's not something that's high on the agenda. Now is the second best time to start. Than say five ten years ago. I think that's right. I think I've got an interesting case at the moment where uh, uh, it's a caravan park, uh, and I do quite a lot in, lot in the caravan park sector. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, there, uh, the park is owned by um, um, a group of siblings in their seventies, and one side of the family wants to pass it down to uh, their side. The other two don't necessarily, but want to get their their fair value out. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, it's been tortuous. We're close to getting an agreement, but I can see that the uh, family who are going to uh, ultimately receive the benefit, um, so the, the younger generation, uh, they're storing up problems for themselves in the future. They've mm. They're going to own the park, uh, not in equal shares. Uh, and I can see that in 10, 15, 20 years' time, that will be the source of um, some difficulties between them. So they should be thinking now about what's going to happen in the future, even yeah. if just taking over the business. Mm. And their, their attention is going to be turned on what they need to do to take on the business rather than thinking about the, um, their potential exit. So it's a, it's a catch-22 for them. But, but it is, I think the sooner the better p- people start thinking about their succession planning. Um, yeah, absolutely. Whilst not being morbid about it or necessarily getting things in uh, automatically in place, uh, the answer, we'll come to it later on, I'm sure, uh, is often just addressing the issues that can go wrong. Yeah. Uh, and that's often best done through a shareholders agreement. Uh-huh. Uh, talk about, I'm sure, shareholders agreement. Yeah, absolutely. Later on. Um, be- before we get to, to that stage of things, um, how important or um, essential is it to distinguish between what we know as ownership and management succession and how would how would you go about describing each of those to somebody who might not come across those terms um, this um, came home to me probably 20 years ago um, how important this was uh, I was acting for an edible food business 
uh, which uh, was and is uh, fourth generation. Uh, it was owned by four bloodlines, four family lines, and um, they were beginning to address who should be taking over the, the business. Uh, and Jennifer, uh, sadly now died, um, had stuck in her mind that uh, uh, just because, as soon as you be- got the shares, you automatically became a director. Right. Uh, and she was very worried about her children having the uh, business uh, and business skills and the actual skills to be a director of this quite sizable, sizable company. Uh-huh. 40, 50 million a year, uh, 100 odd employees. Uh, and she really didn't think they had the skills. Uh, but she had set in her mind that she passed on the shares to her children. They would automatically become directors. And as soon as I said to them, said to her, they don't have to become directors. All you've got to do is pass over the ownership to her, not necess- to them, not necessarily the, um, uh, the, the, the management responsibilities. Uh, and that li- lift the scales from her eyes, uh, and we were able to uh, resolve all the outstanding issues very easily after that. And so few businesses do actually split down, uh, separate business ownership versus the management uh, management. That, that was going to be my um, sort of next uh, inquiry is how often or, or, or what proportion of businesses do you find that actually do split it? And again, in, in my experience, it's not many. It, it, they think it goes hand in hand, but the, the reality of it is that you can own the business and not necessarily have to have a, a huge amount of involvement. Absolutely. And uh, you're right, very few. Um, uh, certainly of the traditional mid-range family businesses, five to 20 million turnover, which I tend to act for, very few of those do separate uh, ownership from management. Oh. But as soon as you raise the question, then uh, it does solve an awful lot of, a lot of issues. Yeah, completely. And I think that's something where um, the sort of seeding and next generation need to be really clear and honest with each other about is do you want to take on the responsibility of managing the business or do you just want the responsibility of owning the business? And if mm. it's the latter, that what needs to be done in order to bring in a team that can run the business um, and how, do, how does that get structured? The, the kind of all-in mm. uh, assumption can, can be quite intimidating and nobody really wants to say, I don't trust you to, to have the skills or I don't want the responsibility. No, no. Um, perhaps before I answer that, I've just come back to in the early days when I first started doing doing this sort of work, which uh, was probably uh, thirty odd years ago now. Um, uh, it it did um, strike me that so often the the older generation assume their family want to come into the business, mm. uh, and so often that's not right. Uh, I was acting for uh, a ship's chandler's business in uh, in Runcorn. Uh, two two brothers. Uh, Peter and Paul uh, in their mid-50s and um, they, they, they were, um, should I say, t- uh, typical rough and ready business people, left and blind at everything. Uh-huh. And they came in to see me very, um, one of them came in very meekly and mildly and usually come and see me and chat about situations. Um, and literally there'd been blood on the walls the night before his younger brother um, had thumped him and knocked his front teeth out wow. <laughs> Which, uh, <laughs> and that, that's the first time it had happened in about 30 years of them uh, no 20 years of them working together right. uh, took them away to a, uh, a day away uh, and um, uh, it um, 
uh, it started with a younger brother uh, having 20 pages of closely handwritten notes about why he'd never wanted to be in the business in the first place wow. and how he'd been forced into it by his father. Uh, and his older brother said exactly the same. Neither of them had wanted to be in the business, and this was a culmination of 20 years' worth of angst, uh, where they shouldn't have been forced into the business. Yeah. They they just went along with what their parents had to say. Um, I must admit, what I learned from that, that whatever I do, I'm unlikely to make it worse. Uh, and in that case, they kissed and made up uh, and carried on for the next five, ten years. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? Because it, with the benefit of hindsight... It would be very easy to say, well, you should have had that discussion 20 years ago. Um, but again, at the time, there's almost a sense of duty and a sense of destiny that I have to take this on because that's what I've been brought up to mm. do. And um, it's, it doesn't have to be that, that, that the ownership doesn't have to be given up just because the management is. No, absolutely. Uh, what was the the answer with that particular business? Uh, I think, frankly, should have been to sell it uh, mm. 20 years earlier. Uh, it was in a, in a, de in a declining industry. Uh, it was generally in decline. It was getting small and small. It was still keeping the families, uh, 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 giving them a decent living. Mm. It certainly wasn't growing or, and wasn't going anywhere. And they both would have been better uh, to have sold, sold up 20 years earlier when the father yeah. Yeah, and I, I guess as well, part of the conflict there is we define success for, and I'm doing inverted commas, um, which obviously mm. no one will be able to see because it's a podcast. Um, <laughs> but success is defined as passing the business to the next generation. If you don't, you have, again, inverted commas, mm. failed. Whereas what what would have been better for in that circumstance is for, it, for the business to have become one of those statistics where it doesn't pass down to the next generation, Absolutely. but everyone would be happier. Absolutely. I, I see my role uh, in not necessarily preventing the uh, or reducing the numbers uh, failing and going on to the next generation. I see my role in family businesses taking positive decisions one way or the other. Mm. Uh, a, a positive decision to sell uh, is success from my point of view because yes. they decided it's the right thing to do for them and the family. Yeah, uh, I agree. So it's just to stop the fallouts and it's the fallouts that are the particular problems. Yeah, and I think that that brings us to um, to, to a question around uh, the awareness, if you like, of the fact that there are family systems in play and business systems in play, which is mm. one of the the unique challenges of working with your family. Is when you're working in that those circumstances with your brother, is it your brother? Is it your work colleague? Is it both? And how important do you think it is that that there is an understanding that there's these different systems in play to to help aid the succession process? Absolutely vital. Uh, so often uh, the two systems are uh, conflict with one another. Mm. So a family system, uh, when you're thinking about what's going on within a family, it tends to be emotionally based. It tends to be inward looking. Uh, tends not to like like change. And you're a membership of it for life, whether you like, like it or not. Yeah. Uh, with a business system, it's almost totally the opposite. Uh, it's outward-looking, task-based, uh, embraces change, and you perform or leave. And you can see that there's a total conflict between those two systems. And unless you know what you're doing um, when you're taking decisions, uh, whether you're taking a family decision or a business decision, um, you'll often get the decision wrong because you don't know why, why you're taking the decision and what system mm. you're working in. 
Yeah, and there, there's obviously a, the three-circle model, which we have, have mentioned a few mm-hmm. times in, in previous episodes. Um, it's actually 40 years old this year, which um, I think is uh, fantastic, but also shows how relatively early we are in, in terms of understanding all of the, the systems that, that are in play within the, the family business um, world. Um, but, but the the intertwinement of those um, circles is something that can have an impact on both the business and the family. In your experience, what are the common business issues that you see when discussing succession planning? The business issues issues are usually less than the family issues when looking at succession planning. They, from a business point of view, it's who who is the right person to take over, mm-hmm. uh, the right person to provide the leadership, uh, MD, CEO, whatever you want to call the role. Uh, that's usually the business issue. Tied in with, uh, but it's not to do with succession, other than the strategic direction of the business. Uh, does the business have a strategic future? Um, so I don't know what doesn't. Um, if you are um, in coal mining, probably mm-hmm. not to have it, not that you're going to be, uh, but you're in coal mining, there wasn't a strategic future for it. So you want to get yeah. out. Um, but if you're in something that's high tech, you probably want to stay in. So mm-hmm. uh, that, that would have an impact on uh, whether you'd want to sell the business or not. Uh, and that is a business decision and a business perspective. But it's usually the family uh, issues that cause the problem. Um, yeah. And it can be that that distorts it as well. So if we take that example, I know coal mining's not, there's not that many out there now. Um, but it, but if there was a family coal mine, for example, yeah. there could be this sense of duty and sense of we can't let this fail, we can't let this go mm. because it is the family business. Whereas the logic would dictate from the business perspective that now is the time to get out of that industry. And the two conflicting there, again, can create... Um, tension should we say absolutely and so often when you're into on to second well third fourth fifth generation uh there's increasing well so often there's a sense of duty a sense of uh custodianship of the family business mm. and uh, those in the business don't want to be uh those running the business don't want to be the last ones in who drop no. the and are the ones who let the business fail exactly uh, even though they might be right to sell at that time they they feel they've failed if they take that decision to do so Mm. And so if we, we mentioned that family issues are far more common, um, one of the misconceptions I think that, that we come across quite often is that we're the only family business that are suffering from X. Mm. Yeah. Um, so so to, to maybe set our um, listeners' minds at ease, uh, are there some particularly common issues that you come across with succession? Uh, yes, uh, have we got have we got time to go through yeah, them yeah. all? <laughs> one when I when I'm running these courses uh, across the business for uh, across the country for accountants and lawyers, the one that seems to be a common theme, regrettably, are the in-laws. Right. Uh, so it's uh, it's the um, uh, the wife of the son who's in the business and might be a shareholder. Uh, mm-hmm. Wife doesn't get on with uh, her husband's uh, wife. Uh, it's a uh, They've got significant influence, but they've got no actual control. Mm. And it's the in-laws that tend to be the problem and tend to ferment the issues. Uh, I I had it a couple of years back. It's quite a fun dinner party uh, trick that you can can have if you're sitting next to someone in a family business. Just ask them about relations. Mm. And I had a case some years ago where I asked about the relationship between the two brothers. 
Uh, oh, that was great. No problem. This was talking to the wife. Uh, that was great. What about the relationship with uh, mum and dad who are still in the business? Oh, that's great. What about your relationship with your, um, uh, your brother-in-law's wife? I couldn't stop her up. Stop it the next half <laughs> what was wrong with what the brother-in-law's wife was doing. Right. And you just want to try that at dinner. It's, uh, it can be quite amusing. Uh, and it can be that it's down to perception rather than reality as well, I, I find, yes. in that if, if there was a forum for everyone to communicate together, um, again, particularly uh, there's an example I know, which, which happened to be two brothers as well, where the mm. um, respective wives didn't get on. And it was because one brother was, I think, operations director, one brother was managing director, and the cons- miscons- or the perception from the operations director's wife was that he should be the M- uh, MD. Yes. And so there was this almost um, false animosity between the two wives because one felt I'd done by that the her husband should be the MD and one wasn't. Yes. Um, when, when you actually sat them down and started to, to talk to them together, um, the, the, the atmosphere changed. It was, oh, hang on, we, we share the same concerns. We, we share the same um, goals. So it, it, it's, I don't think it necessarily, it's always um, a reality. It can be misconceived as well. I, I, I think that, that that's very true. Uh, and I'm always a believer in getting people to, to sit down down. Mm. Uh, again, we'll pick up probably pick up at the end, but I, I, I've got a case I'm just starting work on now where we've got uh, parents in their late 60s, uh, daughter and her, these are now early 40s. Uh, and uh, in this situation, uh, the parents own all the assets, but can't get their hands on any cash and would like to get some cash in their right. in their hands to buy a boat or whatever. Uh, and they can't do so because their daughter, who's running the business, is spending all the money. Right. And I had to get involved, and it was only last week I sat down with them, and I was Mr. Nasty by saying, yes, I can solve some of these problems, but uh, daughter, um, you will have some benefits if you agree to what is likely to have to happen, but you're going to have to cut your expenditure. So I was Mr. Nasty having to tell her uh, to cut her expenditure. And that mm. was a situation where... Um, I assume the parents wouldn't have been able to say say that, and they were all able to say how they felt, and um, uh, in a non-emotional way, because I was there um, as the professional trying to sort the situation out. Yeah, and although you're working with the family system, you're not part of that system, so you can be objective and say, actually, here's the challenge, here's the the potential solution, and. Um yeah, good cop, bad cop, all in one, uh, all in one day. Uh, the great difficulty, though, is getting the trust of the whole of all sides. Uh, yeah, as an advisor, that's one of the big problems: is getting people to to think that I think and believe that I am genuinely looking after the interest of the business, yeah. rather than after the uh, the interest of one side or the other. Uh, yeah, and that, that's a big task. Yeah, and I guess that um, can be. Um, magnified if you like with some of the solutions that can be suggested uh, if it's not something where one party feels that there's um, fairness or equality and, and that, that might be a conversation for another day as well um, but but in terms of some of the solutions that are available yeah. to family businesses and, and mm. this is where the um, your knowledge as the um, chartered accountant will, will mm. be very beneficial what, what are some of the more common solutions when it comes to let's let's use ownership succession as a well let's 
Let's start at the top level. The, the only three solutions uh, at the strategic level are uh, find somebody in the, in, uh, from the family to take, take over uh, management and uh, ownership. Uh-huh. Do uh, bring in uh, an outsider, uh, professional management, on which I've got some uh, fairly firmly held views there, but I'm sure we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, or thirdly, sell. Uh, those are the three options uh, at a uh-huh. high-level strategic level. If, however, they're wanting to uh, decide to keep it in the family and uh, keep it in the family and uh, not to go to the sale route or professional management route, uh, I'm a great believer as a starting point of having those running the business owning the shares in the business and not allowing the other siblings or other relatives who don't run the business or aren't involved in the business have any say in the business. Uh-huh. So uh, what I tend to do is to, uh, certainly when dealing with the uh, first generation perhaps, I say to the first generation, leave the shares in the business to the son or daughter who's running it or the sons or daughters running it. Right. But the other sons and daughters, whatever you do, don't give them any shares in the business uh-huh. it's only going to cause strife at a later stage. Yeah. So uh, that's, that's my, my starting point. Um, that has lots of ifs and buts. For a start, uh-huh. you've got to have equality of value of assets. Now, you can solve that uh, by way of using other assets. So there might be a holiday home, there might be the private ho- house, there might be a, list- stop, a listed portfolio of shares, there might be a pension pot. You could, could perhaps leave those to those not involved in the business, but shares to those in the, in the business. That's uh-huh. why we're evening it up. If there aren't those other assets, then you need to even it up. And I usually suggest some sort of carve out of a loan note or a preference share out of the business to go to those not in the business. So they can't interfere with the business. Yeah. Uh, Tends to be the way forward. Technically, um, there are ways to do this. Um, There are two technical ways. One is to do a purchase of own shares, otherwise known as a share Uh buy-in. Usually that's not, Technically, that usually is a problem. There are some technical issues around a share buy-in. Okay. And it's more usual to do use a restructuring with a new co on top. So uh-huh. you have a new co owned by uh, those taking over, which will buy the shares in old co in exchange for shares, cash, and loan notes. So that's, okay. that's the technical way you can go about doing it. Um, it's getting agreement to that that's the first problem, though. Technically, right. you can usually solve it. Uh, it's getting the agreement first. Okay, and one of the um, points I wanted to raise on having non-management family owners mm. um, is a, an example, um, again, that we've had historically, is the differing priorities of those that work in the business to those that aren't within the business mm. that had equal say on what happened. So that this particular example, um, the non, got to get this all right way around, the non-management family owner. Yep. So um, I think this was a brother. Yep. Just wanted dividends. Yes. Because, because that's why he had shares. Absolutely. Um, the sister who was running the business wanted to reinvest it back into the business yes. because she could see that that was the way of achieving some growth. Yep. And the two priorities just collided. They, they were opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of their priorities. And so it caused a lot of friction there that was perhaps unnecessary. Yes. And they could have looked at the route that you're suggesting there, where you have 
um, the preference shares and, and or non-voting rights and, and things like that that can help alleviate some of those? That, that's part of the solution. Um, I all, uh, so that, that's my starting point, is to try to get the narrowing of the shareholding base. Don't let the shares go to lots of different people. Um, mm. But as part of that, um, I'm a great believer in having uh, a shareholders agreement. Mm-hmm. People will say shareholders agreement, yeah, that's legal bits. Uh, and they don't really see the value of a shareholders agreement in many cases. Uh, the value of a shareholders agreement is to force people to sit down and address the fundamental issues. Mm-hmm. And those two fundamental issues, and exactly the point you're raising, is what's the value of the business? Yeah. And what dividends and what uh, income should I get out of the business? Mm-hmm. So, uh, and what I, I tend to say, my, my starting point is, first of all, have a create an internal market for shares. So if little Johnny does happen to inherit 5% of the shares and isn't interested in the business, uh, he can come along to the company and say, I don't really want my shares. I prefer to have my Ferrari. Come and buy me out, please. Uh, and there is an internal market created in the shareholders' agreement to do that. Uh, and you can do that. And that helps narrowing of the base and helps remove those tensions of people who don't see any value in those shares. Mm-hmm. But to do that, you've got to have a valuation criteria. And on all my courses, uh, particularly with lawyers on them, uh, I start. Uh, I raise the question, how many people just have a valuation clause in the uh, article saying let the let the auditors decide mm-hmm. the vast majority do so i say please 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 don't allow the auditors to decide on the value right because uh, we all know you ask an accountant what two and two makes uh, and the answer yeah. is what do you want it to make yeah <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and uh, you, you'll always have a problem with um, uh, with that. I, uh, and even if you appoint a, uh, an independent outsider, I, clever lawyers and clever accountants can always disagree. Yeah, I had a case um, about a year ago in a divorce situation, relatively amicable, where the husband and wife agreed to appoint one independent accountant. Now that one independent accountant didn't come down to meet the company, didn't understand the business dynamic, and uh, used a valuation criteria that was totally incorrect. So right. his 14-page uh, valuation was rubbished by a 20-page valuation, uh, t- uh, 20-page document from me and the barrister acting, and they right. agreed on our value. So if you want to fall out, people will always fall out. But if you can have a proper criteria in your shareholders' agreement where you sit down when you're getting on and say, yeah, we'll use a multiplier of four or six or eight, uh, and we'll base it on uh, this method of calculating the profits, then at least they've, they'll f- still fall out if they really want to, but they've mm. got the basis on which they've thought about it and uh, will we'll know how to get out. Yeah, and I think that's one of the important points to make is that doing this while things are going great means that um, future issues can be avoided. As you say, if there's a propensity for conflict, there, there might always be conflict. Mm. But at least on some of these things, on things like valuation issues and um, you, you mentioned the internal market for shares and, and things like that, if that's agreed at, at a time when things are um, pretty rosy and, and everyone's getting on, it can help avoid an awful lot of um, heartache and cost when, um, if and when they fall out. Absolutely. And not just evaluation criteria. You need a dividend policy and a remuneration policy. Mm. Uh, my starting point for this uh, is, um, first of all, you pay remuneration to the directors running the company based on what's a fair open market value. Mm-hmm. 
that's not always easy to determine, but that, that's, the, that's the starting point. Uh, you pay fair remuneration to those running the business, not too high, not too low, just because they're family members. Uh-huh. And then once you pay that remuneration, you've got the balance of the profits. And my starting point is to divide that three ways. Uh, a third is kept by the company to uh, retain and invest for the future. Uh, okay. A third goes by way of uh, bonus to go to those running the business, the directors in the business, based on performance. Uh-huh. And the third goes out by way of dividend to all the other shareholders. Okay. Now, you can tweak that any way you want to, uh, uh-huh. but that at least makes sure, again, when people are getting on, they've thought about it uh, and uh, that they've decided what is fair uh, and a fair approach for the future. Mm. Okay, fantastic. And you mentioned you had some views on external management. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> would you care to share? <laughs> uh, yes, I'm, I'm usually at, uh, no, I'm not usually at odds. Uh, from time to time on the courses I run, I'm, uh, I, I tend to be at odds with uh, a number of people on the course. Uh, my experience is bringing in outside professional management is fraught with difficulty and okay. often leads to failure. Um, fail, not necessarily failure of the business, but failure of that individual doing what they, uh, what they want to do uh, and the expectations of that individual. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's largely because um, one of the things uh, that, that to get the right sort of person to be the leader of a business, they need to have a high degree of motivation. Mm-hmm. Um, that motivation is usually just to, should be to grow and make things better for the sake of it, but they'll also want a piece of the action. And family businesses rarely are prepared to give up a piece of the action to bring in outside professional management. Uh-huh. Their view is, oh, well, we'll pay them a salary and we'll pay them a good salary and we'll pay them a bonus. What more do they want? Yeah. Well, if they're the right people who will really take the business forward, they want a piece of the action. Uh-huh. And unless you give a piece of the action, it's unlikely that you'll get somebody of the right caliber and skills mm. coming as professional management. Or if you do, they won't hang around forever because that they um, might get that piece of action somewhere else. Uh, absolutely. Um, uh, absolutely. Uh, and even then, if they do get a piece of the action, um, they may well say, well, I'm, I've got a piece of the action. I'm in a family business. What's my long-term future? And they will then probably push to sell the business further down the line. Uh-huh. So um, outside professional management uh, is either fraught with the problem of not getting the right person, or if they get the right person, that person uh, will, uh, in due course, persuade the, the, the family probably to sell. And hence, okay. uh, not necessarily a failure, but they, they, it's a sale which they might not necessarily have wanted. Okay, so, so a note of caution um, on, on that. Yes, I, I, and when I express this view, view on uh, uh, to others, um, I get some pushback, uh, but and there are exceptions. There's no doubt there are exceptions around, uh, but um, in my experience, it's not many. Um, right. uh, it's it's similar with uh, professional practices. Uh, if you're a law firm, it's in vogue to have a non-lawyer as the chief executive. Yeah, uh, and. Uh, again, they rarely last longer than three, four, five years um, uh, on the basis that at some stage they're going to have to make a difficult decision, uh, i.e. partners are going to have to go. 
Now, as soon as that happens, the partners turn on the chief executive and say, and say you don't know what it's like. You're not a lawyer. You've got to go. You can go instead. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, um, and that's the problem. That's the problem exactly in the family business. They turn yeah. the, the individual who wants to take difficult decisions. And we, we've spoken on previous um, episodes of the podcast about the importance of uh, articulating family values and, and family mm-hmm. vision, and that typically family businesses take a view over the longer term. Perhaps some external management. Um, wouldn't take the longer term view. Uh, again, I know there's exceptions, and we're not we're not um, tying everybody with mm. the same brush here. But but if again there's those conflicting priorities, it, although at interview stage it can seem everyone's on the same page. Um, as you say, we've seen it as as well where it, there's been conflict further down the line because. The, the phrase we often hear a lot from families about non-family um, execs is they just don't get it. No, I think I think that's right. They don't know what it's like. They genuinely don't know what it's like to work within that family environment. Mm. Um, genuinely, lawyers and accountants. Uh, if you're non-lawyer, non-accountant, you don't know what it's like to be a partner uh, in a law firm or accounting firm. It, yeah. It's got a different feel about it yeah, as a member of a family business. Uh, and just coming in, you've got to have worked in the business for many years before you... Uh, start getting a proper feel and even being trusted by the family. Yeah. Um, how often do we see it in local communities? Unless, unless you've lived somewhere for 40 years, you're not accepted as part of the local community. Yeah. I think it's the Absolutely. same in businesses. Yeah, I agree. So given that, what are some of the steps that we can suggest to family business in terms of deciding who is right to take the business <laughs> forward? Because we know that our... Um, in life, things are inevitable, tax, mm. deaths, and, and what have you. England failing at the World Cup and, and whatnot. But, but, <laughs> yes. And Liverpool winning 5-2 last night. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yet we're saying for, for uh, at the beginning of the show that it's, it's not necessary that the, you have to have ownership and management, but urging caution on the side of non-exec, mani- yes. uh, sorry, non-family managers. Mm. What can families be doing to try to get this out into the open whilst it's it's still timely to do so and not at the point of, you know, mum or dad passing away or suffering health issues? Well, I think they've got to start identifying who might be the people to provide succession for the future. Mm-hmm. And, then, uh, and that, that can be a long grooming, gr- uh, gr- grooming curve, if that's the right word, mm-hmm. grooming period. Uh, but those who take over the leadership role uh, need, to my mind, have uh, three things. Uh, first of all, they need to have the genuine desire to do it, unlike the two brothers I talked about earlier on. Uh-huh. They really do need to genuinely want to take over the leadership role. They need to have the skills, and I'll talk about that separately in a second, and they need to have the support. Now, <clears throat> the idea of somebody coming straight in from university who might have the skills and might have the desire, uh, but they won't have the support of uh, the people they need. And that's not just the family. They need the support of, yes, the family. They need support of other key management in the business. Mm-hmm. And they need the support of the employees. So coming straight in from university is unlikely to work because they won't have the support. So it's three elements, desire, mm-hmm. skills, and support. Desire, I guess, is... is either there or not uh, I, I know again there's, there's probably well, a scale in, in terms of I feel I need to do this or I 
passionately want to do this. Well, um, I would say this, wouldn't I? Uh, but that's where it can be very helpful to have the outside advisor facilitator finding uh-huh. out if somebody has been identified by the family uh, to be to provide the succession, uh, finding out that they genuinely want to do it. Uh, often as not, people won't actually. Um, uh, uh, if they don't want to do it, won't tell their parents they don't want to do it yeah. uh, because they don't want to upset them. Yeah. Having the outsider come along, um, asking that question and potentially passing on the bad news uh, can get to the bottom of whether they genuinely want to do it. Uh-huh. Uh, the skills is a, a more difficult one, and this comes uh, from my time when I was on the central um, partner uh, uh, partner promotion panel of, uh, of GT, uh, where we used to put th- uh, potential partners through three days' worth of intensive interviews and assessments. Wow. Well, uh, watched by an industrial psychologist, and he, he was fascinating. Uh, and the skills that we were looking for were fourfold. Uh, one was motivation. Uh, two was people. Uh, three um, was intellect. Um, and four was organization. And right. You need to have at least three out of those four to be able to be recommended to to be promoted. Uh I use that same approach when advising clients on um, uh, who should be taking over as um, uh, uh, taking over the leadership role role in a business. Uh Uh, Perhaps if I could just expand on each of them. Yeah, please. That's going to be my exact next question. (laughs) Is is, can you expand on those? Yeah. Motivation is probably the most important, which is all about growing a business and taking a business forward for the sake of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the best ways of assessing that, uh, I find, is other than career history, is to ask the deathbed question. Um, uh, Imagine that you're uh, on your deathbed, you've got friends and family and business colleagues around you. What do you want to hear people say about your business life? Mm. Um, and mine, when I was asked that, without knowing what the answer should be, was mm, I didn't really care at that stage, so long as I've left something behind me. Right. And the industrial psychologist said, "Yep, that's exactly what we're looking for. We're wanting looking for somebody who uh, will grow something, create something for the sake of it, uh-huh. not for status, not for money, not because they're the next person on the rung, um, uh, not for a pat on the back, uh, just for the sake of wanting to grow things." And, and that's probably the most important thing. Okay. Um, the intellect is probably the second most important thing, uh, probably equal actually, being able to see uh, each side of an argument and be able to argue black is white. Uh-huh. Um, uh, that, and that, certainly in what, uh, our procedures, that was rare. There, there were certainly intellectual difficulties with a lot of the candidates. Um, as you'd probably expect from the accountant, dare I say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, thirdly, uh, people, and that was all about understanding people and how you have to change your style uh, to get the best out of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the last one was organization, uh, knowing how to cope with stresses, to say no to things, uh, bring in resources, reprioritize, etc. So, uh, and, and that again was uh, was assessed via a series of tests. So uh, that, that's uh, that's what we did. And I've got two examples of where I, with the clients, I've got it totally right and another totally wrong. Okay. okay. Are you able to share those? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the totally right one was uh, a firm of architects 
um, where they were in uh, significant financial trouble. Uh, they were meeting weekly because they knew they were in trouble but didn't know what to do. And I recommended they needed a, a managing partner. Um, they said, yes, but who? I went round and interviewed all the partners to find out who wanted to do it, who had the skills and who had the support. Uh, they the came down to two clear candidates. Um, uh, should we call them Peter and Paul again? Uh-huh. Peter, to my mind, uh, had all the skills, uh, but was just second choice. Paul, to my mind, um, didn't have the skills, didn't have the motivation, uh, wanted it for status, and was not totally good with people. Uh, but he was the favourite, uh, probably because he, he was the senior, the, the more senior one. Right. And I went round, back round the rest of the partners, um, and I did nail my colours to the mask in this case, and asked each of the partners, how do you feel working for Paul? And to a man, and they were all men, they said, work for Paul? Well, we couldn't work for Paul. He's absolutely impossible. <laughs> you're appointing him as managing partner. And, all right, you're not an employee, but that's effectively what you're going to be doing. Yeah. Oh, God, is that what you mean? Oh, no. <laughs> Um, so we went for Peter, and Peter performed a sterling job, turned the, the practice around. It's now a very successful practice. Um, so that was a good one. The bad one um, was, um, let's call him Jim in this case. Uh, Jim, um, who desperately wanted to do the job. Uh, there were really no other candidates. Uh, and uh, I helped work with him and helped persuade the family that he should be appointed. Uh, with 18 months, it had gone bust. Wow. And uh, in hindsight, I look back at Jim, uh, what did I call him, Jim, Jim Skill? Jim. Uh, in that case, um, his motivation was all about being next on the rung, on the rung and it was his family duty. Um, his intellect was not terribly strong. Uh, organization was okay, but his people skills in the first three months of the role, he went behind his key lieutenant's backs, direct to members of staff, and started to undermine his key lieutenants. Wow. Um, and it all just, key lieutenants left, and the business just uh, just folded as a result of him not having those skills. Yeah. I, I don't particularly blame myself. I don't think there was anyone else. Uh, it would not have either gone bust 80 months with or without him with or, with or without him but yeah uh, no if they'd had somebody with motivation they um it might not have done mm. but they they the family weren't prepared to appoint anyone outside the family okay so to so taking that example um a little bit further then it, it if there is no one in the business that is either willing or able to take it on yeah is the option to sell? Is is that kind of is it that linear? I, th- I think it probably is. Uh, I think it is uh, because of uh, you can look at external management, sorry, professional management. Um, but given the caveats I've got there, um, it is it's a difficult choice um, of saying, yeah, there is no one. Let's sell it while the going's good, rather than letting it uh, fail over the longer term. Mm. It, it's that linear, yes. Practically, it doesn't happen that quickly. Because no. It's a long time for people to realise that that's the issue. Um, and it's only the, the very competent uh, people who will uh, who will take such a positive decision. And if they're that competent, why not carry on running the business anyway? Yeah. Um, it's 
but it is it is that linear, I think. Yes. Mm. And again, I guess we've got we've got to come back to those statistics where that's seen as a a failure in terms of not passing the business down to future generations. But actually, that can be a very successful outcome for everyone involved, particularly if there is a sale that is, a, you know, um, mm-hmm. a significant amount. It means they can go off and do other things that they might want to do that they would have the motivation and yeah. um, intellect to, to go and do and be successful at. Absolutely. Um, I, I fully agree with you. My only caveat to that, and um, I, I continually see this, uh, is the UK tax system is geared not for you not to address these issues. Mm. Because if you have a trading business and you hold shares until you die, there's no inheritance tax. Yeah. And if you have shares or any assets on which there's a big capital gain, when you die, there's no capital gains tax. Mm-hmm. So the system and uh, the the tax system encourages businesses not to address these fundamental issues because if you sell the business, uh, you're going to have capital gains tax on the sale, and you'll then have a load of cash um, on which you'll have a further forty percent inheritance tax charge when you die. Yeah. So you might well, unless you're going to spend it all. Mm. Uh, which I often do advise, go and spend the kids' inheritance, yeah. go skiing. Um, I, it's uh, I, the, the system encourages people not to do it, uh, yeah. which, which is uh, not helpful. No, and emotionally, people, um, again, this, this is kind of the day job for me in, in terms of financial planning, mm. is if people have uh, a source of regular income, Yep. It's relatively easy to spend that because you know next month or next week the, the money's going to come back in again. Yep. When it's a lump sum and it's a capital amount that, that is either invested or sat in cash, mm-hmm. psychologically people struggle so much more spending that because it's not necessarily going to be replaced. Even though we can articulate to them that you know, you've got X amount of pounds, you spend this, yep. you've got 40 years worth of expenditure here without too much um, of a of a struggle. Yes, it's still very difficult to convince people that um, they can go and spend it uh, until they get to sort of late seventies and eighties when their uh, ability to spend starts to diminish mm-hmm. and they go, "I wish I'd listened," or "I wish someone had told me yeah. um, that, that that could have been the case." So, so there's quite a few um, sort of emotional issues and challenges that come with the the sudden sale of the business as well. Um- Fully agree with you, uh, and I see it time and time again. Uh, what uh, uh, are you going to have enough money to live on for the rest of your life? Uh, mm. And that's the perennial conundrum: how long are you going to live? Yeah. And and if we knew that, that would be ideal. We always say our ideal financial plan is where the check to the undertaker bounces. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So we're so, putting it. Yes. <laughs> but unfortunately. Fortunately or unfortunately, we don't know our, our final day, so we, we can't be that precise with our planning. But um, it, it is something that we tend to look at mm. is, you know, how affordable is your future and, and how are you likely to run out of money or not? Um, and it can be quite eye-opening one way or the other for people if they either have far too much or nowhere near enough. Yes. Yep. And that can also help drive some of the discussions around succession as well. Yes, it's a good it's a good way of starting it. How much money do you need from here on in? Uh, yeah, and, uh, uh, that, that 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 is one of the 
perennial problems in that uh, I'm a great believer in pension planning, even though it's uh-huh. only at a million pounds now, I still think yeah. it's almost a no-brainer to get money into pension plans. Uh-huh. And so many family businesses, when you say put money into pensions, they say, no, my business is my pension. I don't need to. Yeah, yeah. But that's wrong because uh, they're then reliant on the business. Uh-huh. Uh, they are then less prepared to pass on to their next generation because their income is going to be dependent upon the success or otherwise of their children. Um, most parents don't necessarily believe their children are going to be as good as they are, even though that's probably wrong. Uh-huh. Um, and they're not certainly not less unlikely to risk their future livelihood uh, on the success of the business in the hands of their children. Yeah. Um, and hence I say, get money out of the business, get it into pensions, get money into um, other assets outside the business so you can afford to take the risk of passing on the management of the business uh, yeah. to the next generation. Completely. And that, that again is our kind of um, day job is creating that financial independence for people. Mm. So that, that uh, I often see it as an excuse that masks some of the underlying um, emotional issues is I can't afford to do it. And you say, well, what if we removed that from the equation and showed you that you could afford to do it? And they go, well, uh, um, uh, and they come up <laughs> they come up with another reason that, that <laughs> yes. it w- wouldn't be a good idea. Mm. But yeah, I often get chastised at, at dinner parties for saying that pensions are cool. Um, I might be stretching it a little bit. Oh, but, no, I'm, but, I'm with you. Uh, I, I get very excited by pension planning. The thing yeah. you can do with it uh, and, uh, and don't... I know there's some difficulties with this, but uh, d- d- listeners don't necessarily go out to do it. Uh, but I've uh, recently been involved in a, in a client buying a boat mooring in Spain via his SAS. Wow. Um, so there are some amazing things you can do with it. Yeah. Uh, d- d- don't do it straight away. There are huge hoops associated with it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, but and, and given what we do, we would always say take professional advice on that and not, absolutely. You know, not try and do that on your own over no, the internet. No, absolutely. But it does, show, <laughs> it does show what can be done and what can be achieved uh, with yeah. sensible pension planning. Completely. Um, I think we're, we're drawing to uh, the end of our, mm-hmm. um, our time. But, but before we go, is there a single tip that you would give to family businesses when they're looking at succession, in particular in succession planning? Um, And this is going to sound desperately self-serving, but it's not, uh, is uh, take professional advice from experienced individuals uh, who have guided businesses through this situation in the past. Um, It's, I would say it wouldn't I, uh, but Unless you have that impartial, independent advice, um, you won't realise that you're not you're not alone. There are solutions, uh, and that there are ways of solving the things that you're worried about. Uh, you can't do it in isolation. You've got to have input, but from people yeah. who've done it before, mm-hmm. um, be it a lawyer, be it an accountant. I would say it's an accountant, but it's lawyers and accountants and financial planners working mm-hmm. together, but with one lead person who understands what everyone's trying to achieve. Yeah. Uh, and again, w- without um, it sounding like an advert, it, it, it doesn't have to be um, us. There are good people out there that can help you, that can um, put some of this into perspective. Um, absolutely. absolutely. Have... Although, dare I say, um, and again, I, this, isn't a, this isn't a plug, dare I say, there are not many. There are probably, as I know, you, you might know more than I do, but there are probably only half a dozen or so in the country. Um, doing the sort of work that I do, 
yeah. arguably you could say that's because there isn't a market, but I, I don't agree with that. Um, and, and I wouldn't, uh, obviously wouldn't agree with it. Uh, but there are, there are not that many um, who, who will actually look at it in a holistic way. Yeah. Um, uh, all right, the largest firms of accountants and largest firms of lawyers say they do, and they will have some good people in there, but they will be um, uh, an arm and a leg expense-wise, and it will involve a cast of thousands giving the holistic advice. Oh. Yeah, and I think the again it, the UK based the, the market is relatively small at the moment. I mean, uh, in terms of number of um, uh, holistic advisors, mm. I think that will change. I think it's something where, as our understanding of family firms increases and awareness of the issues and challenges increases, there'll be more people who are passionate about trying to help in that space. Um, but I think over in places like the States and Canada, there seems to be a bit more of a, um, a larger mm. market, a better development over there, which can only help us here in the UK because we can learn from what they're doing as well. So That's interesting. Um, I, I wasn't aware that they were that much more advanced. I know I've seen a lot of publicity coming out of the States. I didn't... Mm. Uh, I, I, I don't know whether it's just down to sheer um, mathematics in terms of there are more people over mm. there therefore there are there are more it percentage wise it might be the same mm. um, but i just get the impression that, that there is a little bit more of a, a developed um, um practitioner field over in in uh, the states and, and canada um, but again there might be confirmation bias on my part that that's, yeah, that's right. what I, t I tend to look yes um, but it's interesting how we all have a similar similar view. I, you and I both go to Paul Andrews's uh, Family Business United Comp. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and most of us are there, and we always have something to learn. Uh, there's always something yeah. fascinating there to to uh, to teach us something. Completely, fantastic. Um, Howard, how can our audience find out a little bit more about you? A uh, bit about me, more about me, the imaginatively named Howard Hackney LLP. Um, search for uh, Howard Hackney LLP. Or amazingly, because of Paul's good offices and tweeting for me, um, if you search family business advisor, uh, I actually come at the top of the unpaid uh, unpaid paid, uh, Google search results. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, family business advisor or Howard Hackney LLP. Uh, and you'll see some case studies and people are always very welcome to call me uh, for an informal chat and meeting. Um, never charge anything until somebody's actually signed up a letter of engagement mm -hmm. because I want them to be, make sure that they, uh, which is, this is worth adding actually, uh, I always put in my letters of engagement uh, the need for compromise in any family uh, mm -hmm. si si um, succession planning or situation. And if the families aren't prepared to comp compromise at the outset, and to see me as being impartial. Uh, frankly, I don't want to do the work, not because I'm yeah. upset, I just don't think I'm going to have an outcome uh, that's going to meet the family. Uh, yeah, there's a limited impact, yeah. isn't there, if it's... Yeah, they're just wasting, wasting their money otherwise if they're not prepared to trust me and they don't prepare, aren't prepared to compromise in some way. Mm. Fantastic. Um, we will put links in our show notes. So if you want to um, follow Howard on Twitter or get in touch via his website, there'll be links there. Um, but for now, Howard, thank you very much indeed for your time. Um, and uh, I'm sure we'll speak to you again soon. I look forward to it. Thank you. That's it for this week. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to leave us a review, please feel free to do so on iTunes if you want to get in touch, you can find out more information at www.fambizpodcast.com. We'll see you again soon.